Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cinema Judge. To all my regulars out there, welcome back. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. And if you happen to like it, feel free to five-star it, share it, whatever you want to do, whatever makes you feel comfortable, I'd really appreciate it. And if you are a first-time listener, let me just give you what this show is about in a nutshell. I love movies, and I like to talk movies, and share movies. That's what we do here. I'm not here to rip into Hollywood, rip into actors. I just love movies, and I want to talk movies. And you won't hear me telling you don't see a movie, because that's ridiculous to me. We've all had different paths to get here. Who am I to tell you what to like? I'll give you the evidence. That's my job. I give you the evidence. You make up your own mind. We're all smart people. We don't need somebody telling us. I mean, I'll tell you if I like it, like I like this movie, because like I always say, any movie is somebody's favorite movie. In Approaching the Bench today, we have the epic movie, The Northman. And it's directed by Robert Eggers. This guy is phenomenal. He's only done three movies. This is his third movie. He did The Witch, The Lighthouse, which is incredible. If you ever have a chance to see The Lighthouse, amazing film. There is so much going on in that movie. And now, The Northman. And here's the tagline for this movie. We follow a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. You're going to hear this later in the show, which is really fascinating. Shakespeare got the idea for Hamlet from a story from this area of the Vikings. They'll say the person's name. But I'm like, wow, I I never knew that. In the main character in here, if you rearrange the letters of his name, you could spell Hamlet. It's just very fascinating. Well, you're in for a treat on this episode. I really enjoyed this film. Now, here's a trailer for The Northman. Now, behold. He's here. He's here. Mother! Father is here! The king, my lady. The king. Your fate is set and you cannot escape it. One day, this kingdom will be yours. Thank you, Father. My king. Father! Remember, for whom you shed your last teardrop. I can feel now. What is that? The kingdom. 
You must choose between kindness for your kin or hate for your enemies. Your strength breaks men's bones. I have the cunning to break their minds. And night by night, we will carry out my pledge of vengeance. I will avenge you, father. I will avenge you, father. I will save you, mother. I will save you, mother. I will kill your father. Now approaching the bench first, we're going to hear from Alexander Skarsgård. This guy is incredible. His whole family, the the whole family is just acting legends. But you've seen him in Big Little Lies, True Blood, The Little Drummer Girl, Succession, and The Legend of Tarzan, just to name a few. But in this interview, he talks about how it was originally his concept, his idea to make a Viking story. For a couple of years, I was um, just kind of, the idea was kind of bouncing around in my head of of, of uh, would it be possible to kind of initiate this journey of of, of uh, uh, putting together a, a a big epic Viking movie with um, a, an old Icelandic saga at the core. Um, I didn't know which one. There's so many of them, and I didn't really have a starting point. I didn't know where to how how to kind of attack it, but. Um, I n- kind of knew that it, I wanted the combination of um, the old sagas are often uh, about a family feud. It's about revenge. They're quite contained. And, and I thought it would be incredible if you can combine that but to do that on a, uh, on an epic scale. So you'd both have um, uh, big battle scenes but also at the core of it um, uh, is this uh, quite intimate story. We're going to hear next from the director. Robert Eggers, and he talks about what kind of story he wanted to make, and he references what I was telling you earlier about Hamlet and Shakespeare. This is really kind of cool. Check it out. I immediately I knew that it should be a revenge story, partially because that's just most of these Viking stories are revenge stories, but but you know a good revenge movie works, and I felt that if I could find a really simple, mythic, clear tale that this audience could relate to and understand, then I could indulge in uh, the material world and the inner and religious and mythological world more than if the story was complex. And so really quickly, I discovered uh, this, the story of Amleth that was written by the Danish historian Saxo Grammaticus. And Amleth was the source material for Shakespeare's Hamlet, uh, also known as The Lion King. And, uh, and so when I had this story, uh, you know, uncle kills dad, steals mom, son goes on revenge. Everybody knows this, you know, this just works. So that was really exciting. And this movie does work. It is, it's simple, but complex all at the same time. You could take whatever you want out of it, but basically it's a revenge story, but it's told in a very unique way. Up next, we'll hear from Alexander Skarsgård, and he's going to talk about finally deciding on or realizing why Robert Eggers was perfect to direct this movie. 
We want it to look as as, as real and truthful as possible. Um, and when Rob, when it turned out that he was uh, incredibly passionate uh, about Norse mythology and, and, and the Viking culture, um, it felt like the the uh, the obvious choice or a, a, a dream choice for us um and um so after that meeting I, I i spoke to Lars and we both agreed that Rob would be the perfect director for this project um and uh so we asked him and and <laughs> to our great delight he he said that he wanted to 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 jump on board and um so that was kind of the genesis of of this collaboration between the three of us the director's up next, and he's going to talk about how at first everybody thinks the Vikings were these big, dumb, not very smart people, but there's a lot of mythology, and this movie has a lot of that in here. It It's so rich with mythology and folklore, whatever word you want to use, and he talks about that a little bit here. My biggest misconception about Vikings was just that they were, you know, big, stupid, raping, pillaging, you know, and, and, and look. The Vikings did a lot of terrible stuff. Uh, like there, you know, and and I don't shy away from that uh, in the film. But what got me fascinated was the rich mythology and and poetry. Uh, as I learn more, even you know their their wood carvings and 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 visual artistic expression was also very inspiring. But I think when you're dealing with these pagans, who they're the pagan in the period in our film, uh, who every part of life is an expression of, of belief and belief is an expression of every part of life. There is so much uh, beauty in the way that they saw the world. And he doesn't shy away from the violence. He, he does. He dives in and he really gives it to you. But it's tactfully done, it with with or should I say tastefully done? Whatever word I'm looking for, he has it. But he he shoots it just wonderfully. But up next, we're gonna hear from Alexander Skarsgård talking about how this movie is really is character driven, and it really is. It could have simply just been, like I said, a straight up revenge movie, which it is. But there's so much more to these characters. It's character driven. That was important. That it wasn't. Uh, um, you want it to be visually overwhelming and a lot and, 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 uh, and spectacular, but, um, you need f to care about these characters and follow them and, uh, and feel for them and, and, uh, and have these intimate moments between them, uh, uh which made it a lot of, um, it was a great movie to shoot because you got in a way the best of both worlds. You got these, um, incredible set pieces, big, big fight scenes, um, but you also got days where, you know, you're in, in a room with Nicole Kidman and just it's a dead quiet scene, two characters talking to each other for uh for, for four, five, six pages. And it's uh it's a it's a real treat we can we can have both in the same movie. And in this next interview, you're gonna hear from the director, and he really sums this up perfectly, how he wasn't going out to glamorize their actions or anything like that. I really like how he explains it here. I try to present this mind this mindset this 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 the viking mind uh whatever that is uh without judgment you know this is this is their beliefs it's not my beliefs it's not your beliefs 
This is their beliefs. But even then, in not trying to romanticize their beliefs, I think with with the revenge motif, you you know, yeah, as an audience member, part of you just wants him to get revenge because that's the way these kinds of stories work. But you do ask questions, hopefully, if I've done my job, who's right and who's wrong? And that's one of the th- cool things about the saga is, is they also, like, you know, uh, as far as, the 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 protagonists and the antagonists there is often gray area there you know there they are full characters and so i hope that you know even in telling this story in in, in a you know it, about a culture who says you must revenge and you're going to be shamed and criticized and everyone's going to hate you and you're a failure if you don't revenge uh that we can still wonder if that's the right thing to do i really felt he explained it really well right there now, up next, we're going to hear from Alexander Skarsgård, and he's going to talk about how ever since he's been a young kid, he's been fascinated with the Viking story. And he also talks about his acting career in this interview, talks about all his different characters, and he's never really played a Scandinavian guy. Obviously, from from, from when I was very young, I, I had this fixation uh, um, and... and, and uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in a pull towards uh, uh, Viking culture and Norse mythology. And then I've basically lived half my life in the States, half my life in Sweden, grew up in Sweden, then half my life in the States. Um, and in those 20 years uh, since, I, since I left Sweden, I've played a lot of really interesting characters. I've been very fortunate, but I, I don't think I've ever played a, a, a Scandinavian um uh, I guess in, I, I did a show called True Blood, and on that one, my, my character had been in the States for two centuries, but was originally a Viking, also named Eric, uh, Northman, by the way, in his, his, his last name. Uh, but I never um, – there was something about being away from Sweden that long, playing characters from around the world, mostly American characters, uh, um, that kind of awakened that desire to – to go back to my roots in a way, and 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 um, to make a to play a, a Viking uh, was something that I I, I, I uh, was desperate to do. I just find that very interesting. All these characters, and like you know, I just want to do this, and then now he can. Now up next, we're going to hear from the director, and he's going to talk about how it was to work with somebody else, and somebody who's so talented and skilled and knowledgeable as a co-writer. I was incredibly fortunate that Shion, the Icelandic novelist and poet, uh, wanted to work with me. I mean, he, I don't use this word lightly. He's a genius, uh, you know. Uh, not to say that this thing we created together is genius, but he is one. And, um, and, and, and his, his, his understanding of this mythology and culture is just very rich to begin with, even though we did uh, a lot of, research. Um, but it was one of the most fun collaborations I've ever had in, in my life. He, he has a wonderful sense of humor and he's also just so incredibly fast. If I have one small idea, he'll then send like 10 ideas, like based on that immediately. Uh, um, but basically I wrote a treatment. I went to Iceland. Uh, we enriched that together. 
uh, he wrote a longer treatment, which I gave him notes uh, on. He wrote a longer one. I gave him notes on that. Then he wrote a draft. I gave him notes. And then he wrote another draft. And then I revised that. And then we revised together. And the dialogue in this movie is really incredible. It's it's not your typical structure in delivery sometimes, but it's great. Now, up next, we're going to hear from Skarsgård talking about the origins of this story and how it's evolved throughout the years. So our story um, is based on um, Prince Amlet of Jutland by Saxo Grammaticus in the 12th century. Um, it's about 200 years after the, 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 the end of the Viking era, the Viking Age, um, which was the predecessor of, of, of Hamlet. It's uh, Shakespeare-based Hamlet on, on this character. Uh, hence, he's a Danish prince, and the, the structure is basically young man, um, father murdered by uncle, marries his mother. Um, that is in the Northman. Everything else is quite different. Uh, Hamlet is very much a man of inaction. Um, Amleth is definitely not. He is a very much a man of action. Um, at, well, at least once he's set on his the the right path, when he found his his he realized what his fate was and. Um, when when Bjork's character um, reminds him of who he is and what his purpose is, his mission. Coming up next, we're going to hear from Klaus Bang. He plays the bad uncle, the one who kills the father of the main character and then takes the wife. And then from that point on, the revenge story, you know, begins. So here he is talking about what attracted him to the project and a little bit more about his character, but like, you know, I was so sick of my brother. I just had to take off his head. Over the last three, four, five years, I've probably done a lot of movies that I've sort of really found it in that very existentialistic, psychological thing that is like, I mean, that is quite common for a lot, I mean, for a lot of movies, right? But, but this had that feel of something different in that sense. And then... Yeah, I think that's that's sort of that's sort of what attracted because it, it was not so much you know the character itself or it was more the thing that it was that it was uh, um, a chance to do something completely different uh, and work in a completely different way with not nearly as many lines as I've been used to. Um, it's much more a physical thing. So so. Um, yeah, that 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 probably was 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 um, the thing that I thought. Okay, that's where this is this is going to be something something else. Well, King Arundel is my brother, half brother. I'm sick of him. Uh, I, the first words that come out of my mouth when I sort of look up to his castle where he's sitting is proud ringed peacock. I think he's like he's making too much of a fuss about everything. He should. Be, I mean, so I'm I'm. I'm yeah, I am. I'm sick of him to a degree where I've decided to chop his head off. So I mean, I, I probably couldn't be more sick of him. Ah, siblings! <laughs> I think we all can relate to that little moment there. Now, coming up next, we're going to hear from Ethan Hawke. Now, let's look at his career. 
what an amazing career from training day before sunrise, before midnight, boyhood, and then even the recent Disney Plus show, Moon Knight. He really knows how to do what he does. Now, in this next interview, he talks about the language of this film. And it really, truly does have this rich language and very poetic. And he also, you know, really talks about the beauty of this film. It, it has combined so many elements. Here he is. The thing that's really striking about it from the get-go is the language. Most films don't aspire to a sense of originality in their language. You know, it's something in the theater you see a lot, when, no matter virtually any playwright worth their salt has kind of their own use of language and playfulness of character and world building. And, uh, but for convenience and for audiences and for mass appeal, in general, cinema has a very, what they call naturalistic hit on language. This is just try to make it as easy as possible to be digested by as many different people as possible. And what you lose then is a sense of specificity or character or originality. And so there's a, there's a poetry to the language of this. It almost feels like Beowulf or something. I remember that's what I thought when I read this. Oh, this, this aspires to be a kind of grand poem about a Viking king. You know, it's, it's, it was really beautiful. The story is, you know, pretty simple. The kind of classic son losing a father and trying to make sense of the universe and finding his place uh, in the context of the world without a father, without a role model, um, without a mentor. And that's a kind of very old story. It's even older than Hamlet. Uh, and so my character in a lot of ways is a symbol, symbol of fatherhood and a symbol of something lost. I had a sense that I would like for him to be kind of the way the younger generation often sees the older generation as having more integrity and having faced a harder world and, uh, and admiring them for that. But I don't know. It's difficult to... One of the beautiful things about this movie is a sense of mystery. You know, that's what poetry can achieve that most television or magazine articles or, you know, they sometimes say too much. And in saying too much, you limit things. Uh, and what's beautiful about this is just the mystery of it. I found him, find him incredibly interesting character. We're going to hear next from Klaus Bang. And he's going to talk about the two differences between Shakespeare in this version that Shakespeare internalized. This one's more external. The Amlet story of of um, uh, the, 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 the ancient Danish story that is like what what this thing took inspiration for. For, for I mean, I think what Robert has done with this, he's put it more in the category of a revenge story than Shakespeare's is, for instance. Shakespeare, he tries to sort of, in that one, he's, it's, it, it goes on inside Amlet, doesn't it? It's like he's coming, trying to come to terms with the fact that his uncle has killed his father and is now with his mother. And he's solving it as I 
as a modern person think you should on i mean inside with within himself and here the, the revenge is lived it's 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 put into action so that's that's that in that sense it's a very different direction to to the i mean i think in 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 shakespeare's play he wants to call him he puts on this play that's supposed to reveal you know all that um but here it, no questions are asked it's just it's like you know your old western movie where you shoot first and ask the questions after um so in that sense revenge is at the core of of this story um of this version of of the Amleth myth. I don't know about you, but I just love how these two different stories are just so parallel to each other, but one is really popular and the other one is just kind of like there. I just find that very interesting. Now coming up next, we're going to hear from Ethan Hawke. He talks about how great directors lead by example and Robert Eggers is no different. All the best directors I've ever worked with lead by example, meaning that they're so immersed in the world that it's contagious. You know, Robert gave me a ton of books and literature and videos to watch about Vikings and played Viking music. And I have a small part in this movie, um, but his passion for every detail makes you realize that somebody cares. Somebody cares whether it's done right or done wrong. And a lot of times you get a sense that people don't care. People aren't going to notice and, um, you know, that's the thing about Kazan, they used to say about a lot, Kazan, he just noticed everything. He noticed everything. And that's why the work is so good, is it's each detail in and of itself doesn't matter, but a thousand details uh, is in, has an, a gravitational pull towards excellence. And, um, and Robert has that. Now, we're going to have a scene for you next. In this scene, we have Ethan Hawke. He's on his knees. He has some arrows in him. And then up walks his brother. And then they occasionally cut back to the son, who's like watching from afar. And then you hear Ethan Hawke, the king, give a speech to his brother. case in amazement. I knew well you would. Pity you never paid a bastard's eyes heed before. Now, behold how swiftly your brother swings his sword. Strike, brother. Strike. But know that bearing a stolen ring makes no half-breed a king. Soaked in my blood, twill soon be sliding off your arm like a serpent. Your kingdom will not last. 
such a great scene. It really is. But up next, the director talks about Anya Taylor-Joy. Now, you might know her from The Queen's Gamut, Robert Eggers' first film, The Witch, Peaky Blinders, Lock and Key, Last Night in Soho, which is a great film. If you've never seen Last Night in Soho, give it a shot. She is so talented. But this is him talking about the character. Anya Taylor-Joy plays Olga of the Birch Forest, who is uh, a a Slavic woman and a a white witch who is enslaved by uh, the Viking mercenaries that uh, Amleth, for a time, is employed by. Uh, And uh, he sneaks aboard the slave ship that's bringing Olga and some other um, enslaved Slavic people to Iceland. Uh, And I think, um, you know, he's intrigued by her uh, powers and she must wonder, what in the hell is this Viking doing on here, on this slave boat? Like there's something going on. And I think that then uh, they realize that they can help each other get off this island, Um, you know, and that's, which is, which is what she wants. But Alex has some things he needs to get done first, of course. We're going to hear next from Anya Taylor-Joy, and she just talks about pretty much (laughs) no-brainer to do this film. I got sent the script a little while ago, and I mean, I was already in because it was Robert, and when he told me that he'd written the character with me in mind, I was just so overwhelmed and humbled and just wanted to go on another adventure with him, and what an adventure it is. Now, I, I love this next interview with the director. He was talking about Anya here. And just about how professional she is, how she raises the bar. Many actors would ask like for doubles or all this other stuff for people in the background. No, not her. She wants to be the character. Whether she's in the shot or not, she is actually that person in the background. That is so rare. But the commitment she has, I just, I salute her. And this is him saluting her. And yeah. Uh, aside from being, uh, you know, a perfectionist in her work and an incredible actress uh, who, who's able to uh, I- express really uh, deep subtext with a simple line, she's also super professional. And, and, you know, and she, a lot of times was almost a background character in some of these scenes, like, like where, you know, and a lot of, a lot of actresses might've asked to use a double, but she was there with her shoes off in the mud in the freezing cold and, you know, and being, uh, you know, again, a leader for everyone to, to, to respect and say like, this, this is, this is how you conduct yourself uh, on a set. It's just so cool to hear a director really appreciate Somebody who's that committed. Up next, we're going to hear a little bit more from Enya Taylor-Joy talking about her character. And she talks about the long takes. And if you really pay attention when you go to see this film, they have oneers, meaning very long takes. And these long takes, it, it really makes her as a, as a performer really just commit to the scene. You're not stopping every two seconds for coverage or this or that. You are in the scene. I just, I just, it's just a really cool interview. Olga was very interesting to me because I knew that I would be portraying an archetype 
and the idea of how to be an archetype while still keeping it real and fresh and not going into stereotype. I think I was intrigued with how I could kind of play in that boundary. When we meet Olga, Olga is just hanging out in her village. She's having a good time, living a good life. Um, she is a Slavic lady. But you don't get to see a lot of that. I think we're very quickly on the adventure, but something that I really love about her is her connection to the spiritual world and to nature. She really feels a sense of safety in her belief in fate. And that's a lovely confidence actually to have as a character because you know that whatever's going on for her, she knows that it's what is meant to be. And that gives her a sense of ease, even when things are very difficult. One of the things that excites me most about this film is the long takes that we're getting to do because that as a performer is so wonderful. You know, you're not getting stopped every two seconds. You get to catch, like actually be in the scene, be in the moment and let it play all the way out. We're going to hear next from Alexander Skarsgård. And he's going to talk about the joy of working with Anya Taylor-Joy. Anya is uh, incredible to work with, really. Uh, and... um it was important to – we don't have that many scenes, at least in the first half of the movie. So it was really important to um, to kind of pack a punch in those scenes and to really feel that connection. Um, it, I, I think it helps that we had a lot of fun together and we did enjoy spending time together, or, or I hope – at least I did. I hope Anya felt the same way um, that um, – Again, we, we we talked a lot about it because there are so few scenes in the beginning of the setup of this relationship. It, it was very important that uh, for the audience to feel, oh, this is a strong connection and um, he can't do this without her. We're going to hear next from Enya Taylor-Joy, and she's going to talk about how she enjoyed working with Alexander Skarsgård. But then right after that, we're going to play a scene for you. In this clip, here she, she walks up to him. It's muddy out there, and he's just sitting there, you know, next to a little hut, you know, eating something. And she's like, did you find what you were looking for last night? Because he had to, he had to go, you know, look for something. And he's like, oh, man, it was it, it's a nightmare. But then, you know, she just pretty much grabs him. Not, you know, not, doesn't grab him physically, but just emotionally in the scene of, well, then you got to step up. Here it is. Alex is so incredible to watch because... He's a fantastic leader, like a truly fantastic leader, no matter how many times you make him wrestle the strongest man in the world. He's just still smiling and still has this energy about him. Um, it's very inspiring to see. Did you find it? What you lost? In the house today, was it there? That. And the more. It's a nightmare. Then you must wake up. We're going to hear next from the director, and these are really two cool interviews. One is why he wanted to make this film, because of a great landscape, and also about he doesn't do anything halfway. He just If he's passionate about it, he wants to make something of you know, a movie about it. This is just two cool interviews. 
the thing that made me want to make a Viking movie was the Icelandic landscapes, the awe of these landscapes that feel before time and without time because they're just so epic. And you felt like, when I felt like silly as it is, like we, I didn't even know anything about them. Like the Norse gods have got to be here, man. Like they've got to be here. And uh, so, so when, so, so when you are telling a mythic tale like this, like uh, you know, you want to have these mythic landscapes to set it in. I don't do anything that I am not insanely passionate about because there's just not time in life for it, and it's so hard to make a film anyway. And. The approach of trying to do something historically accurate, the great thing for me about it is that everybody knows what we're after. Everybody knows what we're after. We know that we're after this thing. So so it aligns everybody. And we also, because we had the Viking historians working with us, like Neil Price and Johanna Katrin Friedrich's daughter, and, uh, and we also had um, a lot of people who were working on the film creating wardrobe and creating props and things who were part of the living history and experimental archaeology community who like you know become vikings on the weekend so you have a lot of people who have like passion invested in in figuring this stuff out and so that makes the other people around them more passionate you know and then all of a sudden you, you know you have like core background playing enslaved people coming up to me with something that they read you know, and so, so everyone gets passionate about like the goal. Now, talk about passion. Skarsgård is up next, and he's going to talk about everybody wanting to be accurate. The plan was to be as accurate as possible, and just the amount of research that went into this was extraordinary. Um, there would be conversations about. Is this not the right century, but the right decade? Would this seem look like this? Well, this is more Eastern Sweden than 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 um, Iceland uh, this decade. Or what would this brooch look like? Would that be the right scene? Would that would that it was as an actor uh, a dream to 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 step into that outfit because you felt that. The attention to detail and the passion uh, behind it, um, and it was imperative to not make it try to make it look cool. I think you often in uh, you can take a lot of creative freedom. I'm all for that and make your characters look cool, even if at the time they might have looked very different. Uh, we chose not to do that. We chose to 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 be try to be as accurate as possible. Now, in the vein of accuracy, Ethan Hawke is up next, and he talks about Skarsgård being pretty darn fit for this role. Here's the thing about Alex is that, I mean, he's given Schwarzenegger a run for his money. I mean, he looks better than Conan. I mean, I, I don't know how the hell he did it, um, but to have somebody... He's an incredibly talented young man, and he comes from a family of great actors, and he has such a relaxed demeanor about uh, performance. It's just wonderful to be around. And to see him dedicated to fulfilling this kind of vision, he's almost made a sculpture of his body, you know? I mean, it's like 
Michelangelo or something out there. And uh, I know how hard that is. I've had a few roles in my life where that was asked of me. And it's just incredible mental discipline. You know, if you're supposed to look like an athlete, you have to live like an athlete. Uh, you know, it's not a costume you can put on. And so that's very painful and uh, it takes incredible mental discipline and dedication. And he's done it with a smile on his face. We're going to hear next from Enya Taylor-Joy. And she's in a talk about working with a director and just the magnificent scenery of the locations they were shooting at. It's been so wonderful to work with Robert again. Um, I feel so lucky that my first experience in filmmaking was with him because I didn't actually realize how much of the way that I comport myself on set, the way that I approach my work, how much of that actually comes from him. It's only in coming back onto set and seeing the way he works that I'm like, oh, I get it from you. That's where I get these little things from. Um, yeah, he's just he's just the best. I don't think I've been very lucky with the people that I work with, but because Rob and I have such an understanding of each other, we just go to really interesting places very quickly. Um, it's it, it's one of my favorite experiences. The authenticity of the project is something that's very uh, key to the way that Rob works, and it makes everything so much easier because. You know, you put on your costume and then you walk into the world and you're there. Like, there's no imagination necessarily needed in order to get yourself to this place. I am so happy to be working back in Northern Ireland. I did a movie here a couple of years ago and completely fell in love with the people and the scenery. Um, I'm a big nature lover, so being on the side of a mountain overlooking incredible views and that being what you're looking at when someone's setting up the next shot, that's my happy place. Um... So yeah, some truly extraordinary sights have been seen, but I'm not good at taking photographs, and I should be. Um, I just want to drink it all in with my eyes. I know we've been so lucky. It really makes it magical. Now, that was her talking about the director. Up next, we have Willem Dafoe. Can we say anything that's not been said about this guy? What an extreme talent. I could go down the line. I could do several shows talking about him, but I'll just you know keep this short. Just the man. And here he is talking about the director. And then after that, you're going to hear the director talking about him. And then we'll go back to him just talking a little bit more about the story. Willem Dafoe, ladies and gentlemen. Robert kind of told me what he needed. And uh, I think he tapped into certain things he'd seen as far as my uh, energy and uh, my sense of humor and uh, my love to do physical things. And I think... He really set me up to do those things. So preparation. Preparation, I get sucked into his research. You know, he says, listen, what do you want me to send you? And I'm like, bring it on, bring it on, and I'll I'll cherry pick. I'll see what's useful to me. And in fact, I got very sucked into it because this was a, a time in history and a, and a culture that I didn't know a lot about. So while really... I, maybe it wasn't necessary to go in great depth. It was a pleasure because I learned something and I, I, I started to understand his attachment to it and his love for it. And you get sucked in. And then when you arrive and you see these sets that are made with such detail and such care, it it helps with the pretending. If acting on some level is really pretending, everything's there. You enter that world and you fold into that world. 
I love Willem, you know? I mean, Willem's one of the greatest actors who's ever lived, in my humble opinion, but I think that, you know, it it, it should... I mean, I, I, I would submit that as a fact, uh, and, and, and I'm lucky that he likes to work with me. Um, and I think it was great because, because we'd already worked together on the lighthouse, he knew what Jaron and I were up to. It's a big muscular film. Um, you know, much, much bigger than the lighthouse. Um, he still is approaching it with the same kind of detail and the same kind of care. And while I may sound Pollyanna, uh, at this point, the producers are fantastic because they're supporting him in that approach. And a lot of that has to do with not just detail in the set, but these beautiful shots that are very designed that play as one and have inside each shot has a rhythm and a story and a dynamic that's, that's beautiful on its own. And he doesn't cover things. He doesn't, he doesn't protect himself and make the film in the editing room, although he's got a great editor in Louise Ford, who he's worked with two times before. You know, there's always challenges to editing. Um, but he, he doesn't have all uh, standard coverage. So there's a kind of concentration and a kind of engagement that's really all in when you are a performer in these shots. There's a, there's a precision and there's a demand on you to be really concentrated and you're never outside of it because you have to concentrate so hard, be involved so hard and be absorbed into the world to make the shot work. They built a town there on this cliff, basically. Very beautiful, very... This cliff was made for cinema, or cinema was made for this cliff, I don't know. But they built this very authentic, very beautiful town. And all the bells and whistles. Uh, I arrived and I realized what a large production this is, how, how muscular, how detailed, how strong it is. There were sheep, there were... Slaves, there were townspeople, there was lots going on. And given the fact that uh, Robert has these beautiful design shots, it's a lot to wrestle with. So, um, but he's up to the challenge. But I think it's going to be spectacular, a spectacular movie. Um, a lot of my stuff is interior and uh, in fairly intimate, but some of the action sequences with the boats and with battles is going to be incredible. In that it is. But up next, we're going to hear from Skarsgård and the director about the importance of watching this on the big screen. I recommend watching The Northman on a very, very big screen because it's a Robert Eggers movie. And what Robert and Jaron, our DP, um, if you've seen The Witch or The Lighthouse, it's incredibly, they're both incredibly visual movies. Uh, it, and, and, and this is created by those two, two extraordinary filmmakers, um, but on a much, much larger scale, on a bigger sc scope, uh, um, so I, I, I highly recommend watch, watching this uh, uh, 
to fully be fully immersed in that world uh, and, uh, that Rob and Jaron created. Uh, um, it doesn't really do it justice on on an iPad. I, I recommend watching it on a on a massive screen. I'm making a, a movie for a broad audience in a way that I never have before. It really is intended to be something that like everyone can enjoy and like and eat their popcorn to. You know, there are uh, set piece action sequences, um, which which is something that I've never done before. Uh, but also because it's character driven. Uh, like hopefully you walk away thinking about the movie and, you know, as much as you also were literally entertained. I must say that um, even I, in the age of COVID, have been able to watch things at home in a way that I, I've found more comfortable doing, you know? And and, and as a filmmaker, like, I ha- I, like I've tried so hard my professional life and 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 before that, just as a movie lover, to always see stuff in the theaters, and and I know it's hard, it's hard, but this this is a movie you have to see in theaters. You know, Dune was something that I was not going to see like on HBO Max, and you know, this is a big. It's literally an epic. It's literally an epic. You know, we have these like I, these Icelandic landscapes and these battle sequences and you need to be transformed transported you need to be transported to the 10th century you need to be transported to to the viking age and it's it like not only for the visuals but the sound you know to really be in a, a movie theater and experience the waves crashing against the boat and the storm at sea and you know you you know without that you cannot fully experience what this movie is and i completely agree with them i'm not gonna lie to you Seeing it in a theater, it just amplifies everything up. The scenery, the sound, everything about this movie. If you can, if you want to see this movie, and if you can, see it in a theater. Because I have, it's just, it's so moving. It's so visually stunning. He is such an incredible director. And what I like about him is, he does such great things with natural lighting. It's not, you know, flooded with light or whatever, but if they're shadows, he allows them to be shadows. It's not oversaturated, whatever. He is so skilled with natural lighting. And then in besides that, Ireland, Iceland, the locations that they have, when you see it on the big screen, it is just breathtaking. They captured it so well. So if you can see this in the theater, because it is worth it. The sound, the visuals, impeccable. But mind you, this movie is not for everyone. If you shy away from violence and some gore, this will not be for you. But if you're able to look past that, this movie offers so much more than just that. It's not there to glamorize. It's just, this is what they did, and they did it. It's not violence for the sake of violence. Every act has a purpose, and they have a, they're have they moving forward. It's not glamorizing it at all. It's just, yes, brutal, harsh, and intense. <laughs> Absolutely. But man, truly give this movie a shot. I think you'll love it. Now, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, any way to improve the show, feel free to let me know. Cinemajudge at Hotmail.com or go to Instagram, The Cinema Judge, or Twitter, Cinema Judge. Because I can't grow if I don't know. Please let me know what you would like to see or hear. That's what I'm here for. I just love movies, and I like sharing movies with you. Now, if you want to watch a TV version of this, I have two episodes of this. I have on a set version, 
and just the one that you just heard. Because the honest set version has so much great footage. And if you like that kind of thing, you'll want to watch that. So go to Bloomington, Minnesota's webpage. That's blm.mn backwards slash btv dash shows. And just type in Cinema Judge. And then you'll see on the set of the Northman and also just the normal Northman episode. But wow, if you like the on the set stuff, check that one out. Now, from this point on, it's me thanking you, the listeners, and just telling you what I was listening to when I was making this episode. So from this point on, there'll be nothing more about the Northmen. So it's just me talking to you and things of that nature. I want to thank everybody who took time out of your busy life to listen to the show this week. I know it's a crazy world out there, and you're very busy. And you taking time to listen to this show blows my mind every time I see a city, state, country, whatever show up. I get absolutely giddy. And I'm not just making that up. Every solitary time, I'm like, yes, somebody listened. It makes me happy. I'm a simple man. Because so many of you tell me you listen when you're driving to work, driving back from work, sitting at home, doing the dishes, all kinds of things. And that just that's just so wonderful to hear because that's what I like to do, share movies. And if you're liking that, I'm liking that. And that's just so awesome. And I love hearing... Like, hey, I listen to in the early morning time or the middle of the night or whatever. I just totally, really enjoy hearing how you listen and when you listen. So wherever, whenever, or whatever you're doing, this is for you. And it's so great to see so many different countries showing up. From the United States, United Kingdom, Iraq, Colombia, Germany, Philippines, France, Mexico, and so much more. From Minneapolis, Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota, Maple Lake, Minnesota, Charlottesville, North Carolina, Columbus, Ohio, Chicago, Illinois, Manchester, Manchester, Pasadena, California, Littleton, Colorado, Eden Prairie, Minnesota, St. Mary's, Pennsylvania, South Hadley, Mass, Cottage Grove, Minnesota, Baghdad, thank you so much, that is so cool, Markham, Illinois, Bogota, Frankfurt A.M. Hess, Akeley, Minnesota, and Manila, just to name a few. You guys are fantastic. And this week's bourbon shout-out goes out to... Olivia, thanks so much for listening. And now it's time for the music section. Now, most of you know this. This originally is a TV version. And when I'm making a TV version, I could crank tunes as long as I want, as loud as I want, because I'm not doing this. Because when I'm doing this, obviously I can't have any music in the background. So often I set the mood what kind of state of mind I need to be in or what it might be what state of mind I am at that moment while I'm editing it. So this week I had a few things playing in the background. I had a little air supply going on. I was in a mood. What do you do? They have some great tunes. So I started off with a little air supply. Then I moved on to America. And again, stellar tunes, just that perfect little groove you could just keep on riding. So look into America if you've never listened to America before. And then I figured, hey, let's just change it up a little bit. I put on the Beach Boys because, you know what, I'm eager for some nice weather. I'm thinking, hey, it'll help me get there. So I put on some Beach Boys. You can't go wrong with the Beach Boys. It puts you in your happy place, you know, because this movie was a little darker and all these kind of things. So I try to combat that or do a little night and day from the tone of the thing I'm doing to what I'm listening to. So it just kind of keeps me a little laser focused. So the Beach Boys, what a fine way to do it. So that is it. My glass awaits, I'm thirsty, so cheers to you and to the movies. 
So until next time, be well, be good, and I'm gone. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Judge. <laughs>